Welcome okay. to another episode of E4 Explosive Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have Robert Bigman, who spent 30 years in the CIA. He was on uh, Netflix's recent documentary called Spycraft, uh, talking about uh, cybersecurity. Um, and he is the president of To or no, Be Secure, right? To Be Secure. To Be Secure. Right. Uh, based out of Rockville? Uh, Bethesda. Bethesda, okay. Yep. Um, cool. So just give me a little background about yourself real quick, and then we'll uh, dive into this. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I um, spent 30 years at CIA, um, almost all of it in uh, defense of cybersecurity, a variety of different assignments responsible for uh, risk assessments, vulnerability assessments, um, obviously testing, uh, policy, you know, fundamentally what, what you do in cybersecurity in any organization. Uh, last 15 years there, I was the CISO, you know, responsible for the entire program. Um, you know, built the organization, expanded their um, capacity, um, and, uh, you know, made a lot of friends and a few enemies uh, <laughs> along the way. Um, worked with a lot of vendors, worked with a lot of different government agencies, uh, focused obviously a lot on protecting our data, which is, you know, the lifeblood of the organization. Um, I retired in 2012, and uh, as you mentioned, I I now have a, my own consultancy with just one person, me, uh, at To Be Secure, and I, I consult to private companies largely in the financial uh, area, uh, but others as well, infrastructure, uh, and foreign governments, U.S. government uh, agencies as well, all on cybersecurity, um, mostly focused on how to keep you know the really nasty hackers away from your your data and your right. capabilities. Right. And that's mainly for like internal use. Like you're not, you know, doing like espionage over in Russia. No, 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 never did. <laughs> <laughs> or did you? No, no, no. I'm kidding. No. Right. So I was on the defensive side. Right. Okay, cool. So that's, 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 I think that's something that like a lot of people don't even really like understand or know, like is, is equal as important, if not more important to make sure our stuff is tight and make sure no one can get in and, and hack our stuff versus us going out and being proactive. Um, yeah. there's, so I there's, think no value, there's no value in, uh, in obtaining it if you can't secure it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so you were basically responsible for the program that uh, made sure no outside source tried to hack the CIA's information and get personal data on their analysts and on their people and just in general financial information and stuff like that, right? Well, I mean, obviously what they wanted to know was what we knew. <laughs> right. Right. Because they want to know what agents and uh, who we had in their government reporting to us. Wow. So, I mean, that's what espionage is about. Right. It's about, it's about uh, recruiting people in foreign governments to give you in their information. That's, right. that, that's what human espionage is, and that's what the CIA does. That's crazy. So, so my job was to make sure that uh, those systems and data that we were collecting that information uh, stayed secure, was only authorized by you know a, a people who were authorized to have access to it. Right. So why is CIA? How did you fall into to that? Uh, fell into is very good. <laughs> it's pretty close, actually. Good guess. Um, I um, so. I was in graduate school and they, I saw a sign up for an internship uh, with the U.S. government. Didn't say who exactly. And my understanding of the U.S. government at the time was a little vague. <laughs> right, right. And I ended up doing um, an internship uh, with an organization at the agency called FBIS for 
Foreign, Foreign Bureau Information Service. Hmm. Anyways, it collected open information right. uh, that was um, published by the various foreign governments. And uh, from that, I developed an interest in, in um, basically the agency's mission, uh, which I found was you know, absolutely fascinating. And you know, basically, I, I, I left uh, the internship, and then I saw another opportunity. Actually, someone contacted me about an opportunity in cybersecurity there. And I said, yeah, I kind of enjoyed doing that internship. So I went back. And my first thought was I would come and stay for you know, a few years. And a few years turned into 30. Wow. Uh, so I loved the work. Um, I loved the organization. The, the people were great. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a, every day was a, was a challenge. Right. Right. I can imagine, you know, it's like, that's kind of like one of the distinguished, you know, agencies on the planet really. And the fact that you spent 30 years there is, is quite fascinating. Yeah, pretty much every person that I've talked to that's worked at the FBI, I've talked to agents, I've talked to CIA uh, people and everybody in those agencies pretty much are there like their whole career. Cause it's such yeah, a, that's right. It's a good job, you know, not even just like financially and just stability, but it's just like the work that you're doing, yeah. you're so passionate about and you're so you know, into it. No, it's not a great job financially. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a government, it's a government job, right? So you get a government salary. And um, I think compared to most other agencies, the agency promotes probably faster and better. Uh, But it's still a government job. But no, it was all about the mission, right? We believed in the mission. And uh, when you become that dedicated, you don't realize as the years going by, (laughs) right? You're working, right? Head in the ground. Just yep. head in the sand, exactly. Just... Doing the work, right, right. Yeah, that's it's funny because I um I'm a filmmaker by like trade or whatever. So I actually applied years ago to the CIA. Oh, um, yeah. and like it was so funny. I was living in DC or New York at the time, and then I moved to Charlotte. And like a year and a half later, they hit me up <laughs> for like an interview, and I'm like, oh my god, you're just now like. Like my life has changed so much at that point. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you're just now hitting me up for this. And then I went in for an interview and then like, I literally like never heard back. I don't know if it was like my <laughs> tattoos or what, but it was well, like- you were not selected. <laughs> yeah, I was not selected yet. So whether that's good or bad, it is what it is. No, I'm sure. that's not, it's not commentary on you. It's commentary right. on them. He just didn't feel the need they had at the time or they right. already felt it was someone else. So. Right, yeah, it's just, no, they, it's don't just commun- they don't communicate a lot to those who don't get the job. No, definitely not. No, they were like, they were like, it was so funny because it was like this, like, it wasn't like, because, you know, I've, I've obviously applied for multiple jobs in my life and it wasn't like a normal email to me. It was like, yeah. hey, remember this application you applied for? We got something extra for you. And it, it was so like, I don't know. So CIA. Not normal. Not normal. Yeah. <laughs> it was very discreet. Um, yeah. I thought it was a scam at first. And then I like right. looked into and talked to someone. It was, it was crazy. But anyway. Um, Let's talk about the 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 Netflix documentary. Uh, it's yeah. called Spycraft. Uh, it aired in 2020, just recently uh, in January, I think it was when mm-hmm. it came out. And um, I found it fascinating uh, talking to, you know, any anytime I find a documentary that that piques my interest like that, like Unabombers, serial killers, agencies, government things, spy, espionage, especially. I'm always, and that's how I came across you. I just I, f- I find interesting people in those pieces and I literally hit you up on like LinkedIn or whatever and just bug you. Um, and it's been effective, but I was fascinated specifically by the cyber part of it. Cause a lot of the other stuff 
was kind of common knowledge almost because uh, yeah. you know most of it I, was I think some of the details war. may have not been not uh, obvious yeah exactly war, yeah. yeah yeah but uh, i agree with you yeah um i thought the cyber and the uh, covert communications one was particularly very very well done right right and it was just it blew my mind because i just didn't you know the, the little things like you, you were saying earlier about like uh just the espionage aspect of it was just crazy that back then even back then they had these amazing abilities to hack like radios and stuff like that and put it oh, yeah. just it was incredible so tell me your experience about you know that that documentary how that kind of came up came about yeah i you know i got contacted by the company who obviously did the um development work and the filming and the interview and all the editing for the for the prop for the um uh, spycraft series uh and they i would basically went to new york and uh there was a series of interviews and questions they provided you the questions before so you can review them uh and to get a clearance approval on whether or not you can answer them or not wow um, and uh then it was a matter of you know basically sitting in a very warm room as i remember <laughs> in the summertime <laughs> in poorly air conditioned it felt like I was back at the CIA um, and answering a series of questions of which they used in the final presentation about five to 10%. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, as they obviously do because of the editing requirements. Um, but I, I think, and credit to, to the company who did the work, I thought they did a wonderful job of finding me aside, <laughs> finding other people who really understood, uh, you know, the what we refer to as the ground truth in the history of espionage and right. um, how how things work and how things don't work. You know, it wasn't really desired designed to be a sexy expose of espionage. It was more to give you again a documentary insights into how things really really do work. Right. Um, and they found the right people, uh, many of them who I who I know. Um, you know, to basically, you know, provide that information. And I, you know, my, my hat's off to them. I thought they did a wonderful job. Right. No, I was definitely kind of, uh, I thought it was going to be, cause off the trailer, I was like, Ooh, this is going to be super sexy. I <laughs> thought it was going to be like a, you know, a boisterous kind of just like, you know, just crazy documentary. Like a lot of those f yeah, Netflix right. pieces are, yeah. but I was blown away to your point of like, the accuracy and just how like informative that the one guy who's on every episode is the historian. Yeah. Melton. Uh, he was phenomenal. Yeah, oh, he, he's yeah. He's uh, basically, you can find him at the spy museum. Right. Five every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he knows, he knows everything about everything. Yeah. He's yeah. Um, you know, he studied the, the history of espionage. He's a, you know, just a walking you know library of, of literally espionage knowledge. Right. Yeah, that was he was and he presents it in such a way that it's easy for everyone. Yes, to understand. yes. That's the other. That was the key. That's the reason why, because I'm a total like Neanderthal, like when it comes to just that kind of stuff. So I was I was like, wow, I understand 100 percent of this. It wasn't yeah. over my head. It was it right. was. Um, no, he really does it very well. Yeah. All of you guys were phenomenal. I just thought it was oh, very, very informative. And I felt like it was, uh, you know, not that it was like do whatever because like we could do with or without that kind of stuff but i thought it was good enough to where it was like wow this is great information for like the general public to know and realize like kind of like what we were doing even at that time period um yep, i agree right so you know that kind of brings me to the next my next topic is kind of like so much 
stuff has happened obviously uh in the last just a year and a half to two years um and you know we're always worried about like oh like a nuclear holocaust and like all these like huge wars and all this other stuff but um i'm i kind of am understanding also i don't know if you feel the same way but i think that a, a cyber threat is a little bit more uh um, realistic and uh, i think scarier because you know the whole hey they could like take out our whole grid and all that crazy stuff i don't even know if that's possible but like what in your opinion would be like our biggest threat as far as like whether it's russia or china you know we had the russian issue with the the election and and all that other stuff so um you have a you are you are right to have that sense of fear (laughs) because overall in the united states and this is true globally by the way um our cyber defenses for a lot of reasons, which would you know take a couple of hours for me to explain, our cyber defenses are not very good. And um, I don't know if you were paying attention to the recent solar winds uh, event that occurred no. when uh, Russians uh, hacked the basically through a supply chain, uh, were able to get access to a product that's used widely across the U.S. government and in private industry, and uh, modify the software in order to basically access information and send it back to, to Mother Russia. What? Um, we we uh, don't have very good uh, defenses, um, both in, in um, the corporate world primarily. Um, we interconnect systems without much thought as to sec- the security risk. Um, all, all of computer automation is all fundamentally based on in making people's lives and jobs and existence easier, right. right? To provide you with some service or some capability that makes your life you know, easier to do. Uh, online checking, uh, video apps on your phone, you know, everything's designed to do things faster, better, um, and, and make your lives easier. The problem is that has come with uh, security implications and a security cost, which we fully, even today, don't appreciate. Because to do that, you have to both interconnect various systems from various companies to share data and push it down to your phone device or to your computer. And although that's a wonderful opportunity and gives you, you know, great benefits um, in, in your life, um, when we point out the security risk, uh, those tend to, because the advantages of the of the tool are such that people prefer to have the, the benefit than, than pay the cost, uh, we're going to continue to pay the security costs for a long, long time. And um, it, it's at a point now where we really don't even know, if you ask someone in the US government, for example, at DHS, so what, what is connected to, you know, what, what are we all connected to? No, no one knows. No one can appreciate the extent wow. of, um, of what you're connected to. That's crazy. So are we better, is our, is our security at least better than like other countries like Russia and China? Or are they just like tenfold? When you say our, ours as a country? Yeah. Jeez, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. Um, I think we're, we're, um, not that great, <laughs> but 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 here's the point: the others aren't that great either. No one's right. really good. No, no one's really good at it. Uh, and it's not just the interconnection net; it's also the fact that the computers that we buy are not very good at security. They just you know the computers, the operating system, the applications, the software—they just don't they just don't do security very well. 
Right. That's why, you know, every Tuesday Microsoft has, um, or excuse me, now they have patch Tuesday and there's just hundreds and hundreds of patches <laughs> being rolled out annually to, to everyone's computers. And someone ought to ask the question, why is it like that? You know, why, <laughs> yeah. why, why can't we just have them be made more secure in the first place? Uh, and the reason is because, well, we don't regulate, we don't, we don't have security regulations for anyone, frankly. You know, you can build whatever application you want, buy, you know, purchase and uh, develop whatever software you want to develop in software and post it in GitHub and uh, give everyone access to it. Um, and computer manufacturers themselves, you know, frankly, don't have a standard. The automobile makers, when you make a car, you have certain safety requirements to sell right. it in the U.S. There are no cybersecurity standards for you to build and sell a computer system in the United States. There simply aren't. I wonder why that's, you would think that that would be. You would think, uh, and I've spoken to people in Congress about this on many occasions. Um, and part of it is, it's not the only reason, part of it, there's a large lobbying effort going on by the IT industry, uh, the Silicon Valley industry in Washington to, you know, convince them that we don't need regulation, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, we don't need standards. We we know how to do cybersecurity well, and it is a bit of an esoteric science, right? And it's hard to explain to legislators what needs to be done when Microsoft's convincing them that no, you don't need to do that. We've got it under the control. But the truth is, they and all the others do not have it under control. Right. Right. That's unfortunate. So then, you know, you mentioned apps and stuff like that, which kind of um, I thought it was interesting that um when trump was in office with this whole TikTok uh app it was owned by china and then he basically was like i'm i'm gonna ban this in america unless if an american company purchases it and then oracle purchased the american uh and whatever the territories that aren't basically china um and you know so is that like a kind of like cybersecurity kind of like uh proactive move or or um it's more of a nation state to nation state political move more than anything else. But to make the point, um, there's no question that uh, they were using that app and could use that app to do to further their national aims of espionage um, and privacy and of course privacy violations. Right. So it was accurate. His point and I think the policy was accurate. Um, but understand it's one of many apps <laughs> right, yeah. that the Chinese have their hands on. And right. in fact, as I told you before, the, the whole application development process is so, it's difficult for anyone to get their hands around. You really don't know if you look at a, take an app like WhatsApp, um, you don't really know what applications and what modules and which applications were made by whom. Right. So it's hard to say you know, that this is a U.S. app or that's a French app or that's a Chinese app. Um, these applications are just collections of largely open source, with open source modules that perform various functions that someone just downloaded and glued together, added some functionality and put it up on the marketplace. Wow. Yeah. And the information that they're getting is, is incredible. I mean, when I download an app, um, cause I'm an idiot. I download TikTok. I download the face, the face aging app. That was the Russian app and all this stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the questions that it asks me. It literally will be like, um, can we download 
your contact list because they'll want the and I'm like, wait, what? And then now the iPhone says, um, do you want to use your uh your location? Like well, always use your application, right? Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, like okay. And then um, are you familiar with Huawei? Yes, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like that's what this reminds me of is like the Chinese had like the biggest distributor of phones, basically. And then they were basically had a back door to to that software. And those phones are now illegal in the United States. Well, it's yeah. Uh, the phones, I think, were ZTE. Huawei makes the actual communications networking right. products, the routers and the switches right. that connect everything together. Right. And uh, you're exactly right. That's crazy. Well, that's, and so, so, I mean, what would be your kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I see a lot of, um, when I watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma, all the app people and stuff like that, people that the big guys at Facebook and stuff like that, that no longer work there are like, my kids are never going to have Facebook. Are you kind of like the same way? Are you like very kind of like, uh, you know, I, I personally don't use Facebook and a lot of social media because I just, you know, um, my generation, you know, I, I think just has a different perspective on sharing information. <laughs> right, 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 right. Others do. Um, and it's just not part of my being, frankly. Right. Um, but even if it was, yeah, I'd probably be reticent to use it anyways because uh, of my knowledge of, you know, how it can be used to steal information out of your of your phone and from your other apps that you're using, like your banking app. <laughs> so for right. me, it's largely a security play. Right. That's, you know what? It's funny you say that because that scares me. My, my banking apps and stuff like that are so like just always throwing stuff around. Like if I, if I apply for something financially and they want to link to my, you know, my bank account, it happens like instant. And I'm like, wait a minute, that, was way too easy. <laughs> it has to be like easy to hack. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, that's what happens when you basically allow industry uh, to regulate themselves in cyber, right? Right. Again, wow. ease of use and performance and features always trump uh, security. Yeah, no, that's it's in is U.S. is definitely like all about convenience. So we'll take that over. Of course. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the bad guys know that. Right. So they just milk it. Right. You know, um, what was I going to say the so. OK, so kind of back to the the Russia, China thing. What, what do you think? I, what, what do you think is more practical, Russia or or China? China, like I, they've already hacked our stuff just recently. You said Russia hacked our solar panel company or whatever that was oh, right? the solar winds yeah uh i mean they're both enemies uh from a cyber perspective they'll both exploit any opportunity they can get to steal data right. um i don't know if you recall the famous opm breach oh what's that breach the office of personnel management breach happened no in 2015 oh. i'm not sure how old you were in 2015 yeah I was, uh... uh yeah the uh, chinese the chinese were able to steal uh all the U.S. employee personnel records, <laughs> including mine, from uh, the Office of Personnel Management. Yep, they got access to the OPM network, found where the personnel files were stored, and just took off with them. Oh, I, you guys! You guys talked about that in the documentary. I think it was mentioned. That's right. Yes. 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 Yeah. Right. Oh, how the hell did that happen? Well. <laughs> 
the details the details are ugly, but uh, they got access to via one of the an OPM officer's laptop that had connections to the network and didn't have very good security. <laughs> right, right. And they were able to spoof that account and access the network and uh, install software malware, as it's referred to, on the network and on the systems that have the database in it. And they were able to just take the database, pack it up, and ship it out. Oh my God. And they have that like currently too now. Well, no, it's when they stole it. I don't know. I don't, hopefully they don't have it currently, but who knows? <laughs> right. Right. So when someone steals something like that, how do you get it back or do you have to change well, you everything? Don't. Right. <laughs> you know, you can ask. They tend not, <laughs> they tend not to you know, return things uh, once right. they steal them. Um, and now you have, of course, a situation with uh, ransomware. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the situation with corporations being infected with ransomware. No. Uh, so ransomware is basically a attack against your organization in which they hold your data hostage by encrypting it on your network. What? Yep. Look up ransomware. Okay. <laughs> so they'll they'll basically get access to your network via one of these hacks, and they'll install software that will encrypt all your files. And if you want to decrypt it, you have to pay them usually in Bitcoin um, to get the key back and the software to enable you to decrypt the, the data and use it again. Whoa. It um, we we're well over, uh, well over 5,000 companies in the U S have been impacted by it. Oh my God. I didn't target, didn't target get hit. No. Yeah. That, that was not ransomware, but that was also a hack as well. I remember their that. network that they stole customer information. Right, right. Um, so it, now when people do that ransomware, is it like countries or is it like anonymous? No, these are, these are um, it is mostly cyber criminal gangs, which are groups of people who just want to make money off the cyber espionage. We'll call it cyber espionage, but over the cyber exploitation business. Wow. And their desire is just to get you to send them money, Bitcoins, mm -hmm. um, that they can go buy. And, and it's, you know, you've seen, I don't know if you've seen them, but uh, there's pictures of these young Russian cyber hoodlums driving around in Maseratis in downtown Moscow. <laughs> wow. And um, they get they get protected mostly by the nation state to operate there. They have to pay a bit of a tax, of course, to the government and provide tolls if they ask, but uh, they're pretty much free to operate and do whatever they want. Uh, and these gangs exist all around the world, by the way. They right. have them here in the United States as well. Wow. That is, so is it kind of like dark web, like ish? Yeah. Stuff? Some of it involves a dark web, but a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it, you know, just frankly, um, just, you know, cyber theft. <laughs> wow. So you can't use uh, Mc McAfee, right? Or whatever. You can try. Um <laughs> And it may find some things, but uh, a lot of these hacks now um, take advantage of what are called zero days, uh, which are basically, you know, brand new, unpreviously known vulnerabilities and systems that the hackers take advantage of to enter your network. The attack against uh, OPM, where they stole the files, used exactly a zero day um, that was able to bypass most of the security defenses in the OPM network. To get access to the data. Wow. So is it is it my understanding is it's like uh, hackers will come up with something to whether it's ransomware or whatever to kind of like encrypt it or manipulate 
the other side's data and it's always like uh on on the defense side you're always having to like come up with new ways to counter that that's right that's right yeah usually it's a new company out of israel has a has comes up with a solution yeah right for, for the very last problem <laughs> wow and we've got tons of companies coming up with what i call band-aid solutions to the to the problem right so what would not be a band-aid solution and if you had a magic well, wand, what would you? Well, the band-aid I think is, is that we said discussed earlier, is to, you know, to, you need regulation. You you need uh, a law or laws that regulate what can be done, how systems have to be secured and built and protected, um, and specifically to protect the U.S. government. Uh, if you're going to sell systems to the U.S. government, what standards they have to meet in security to be able to process U.S. government information. Um, we don't have those. So to start, I would start putting pen to paper and um, start writing regulations. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that sounds like a... That's how we, we used to have, we used to have, um, oh, hundreds of thousands of deaths uh, in automobile accidents before cars were made safe. You don't remember. You're too young. You don't remember <laughs> say, uh, unsafe cars. Did you ever hear of a car called a Corvair? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, look up Corvair. Right. Um, was that the one that was uh, get, catching fire? The... No, that was the Vega. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> or right. <the> Pinto. <laughs> right. That was also a problem. But uh, GM, Chevrolet made a car called a Corvair that um, someone wrote a book called Unsafe at Any Speed. Wow. And no matter how you drove the car, if it, if it hit a certain angle in the road, the car would just flip over. <laughs> oh, my God. And, of course, there was no safety belt at the time, so you went flying out of the car. Right. Uh, there was no safety glass, no protected cushioning of the buttons. and the. I mean, they were just danger traps. So right. eventually the government had enough of it and started writing regulations, and that's how we got, you know, secured, you know, excuse me, safer cars. Right. That's... Now, today, we're basically, our computer systems are 1964 Corvairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's what you're driving around right now in your in your uh, laptop. Oh my god! Just ready to roll at any moment. Ready to roll at any time. <laughs> that's insane. And it's funny you say that about cars because like every freaking commercial is like top safety rated number. It's like how can this car, all these different cars, win the same award every year? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I always thought that to me, the company that comes out with. Uh, Better security, I think, potentially has a selling point, a market of building. I think people now understand that there's a risk and are looking for systems and software that basically offers real real security. Right. But it has so, to be exactly. convenient. But yeah, for the US, it has to be convenient. That is, that's awfully, that's on almost always a conflict. That's the struggle that goes on in, um, in IT these days. Wow. That's fascinating. Well, tell me about uh, uh, To Be Secure, the company so, that you started. Uh, yeah, in I, uh, it's just me, as I said, um, and I basically consult mostly with, um, um, have you heard the title before of a CISO, you know, a chief information security officer, which is the secure senior person in an organization responsible for cybersecurity. Right. So I usually work with them either in industry or in government to help them kind of figure out what to do. Right. There's so many things you can do. There's so many things that uh, you have to be secure. You have to worry about. Um, but, you know, I, I mostly work with them to help build their security program to be effective. 
um, and to, in my case, focus a lot on how to resist, you know, uh, sophisticated hacking. The one, like I mentioned, with solar winds, right, or the OPM hack, right, which frankly wasn't all that sophisticated. But anyway, yeah, didn't sound like it was. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, but it was. But the point was, it was effective. Right. So, what does it matter if it was sophisticated or not? Right. Right. It did what it had to do. Right. So, um, and I, and uh, yeah, it's it's a very busy job. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on it, more than I thought I would. Um, but it's again, it's it's I like the challenge. Right. So, it, what kind of stuff are you seeing? Similar things that you saw in the CIA that you're seeing with these private companies and other agencies? Uh, no, it's uh, it's changed a lot in the years. Um, for example, we didn't worry about ransomware. It was never a concern. But when I deal with a new client now, it's the very first question out of their mouth <laughs> is, "How do I keep my systems from being <laughs> ransomed? What right. what are the following things I need to do?" And I work with them and give them a list and say, "All right, let's start with this. Start with that." Now, of course, post uh, solar winds, the issue is everything about supply chain security. So I help them kind of figure out how to secure their supply chain. Um, and there's always a new challenge coming on in cybersecurity that they need assistance with. Right. So basically, the the supply chain would be like, okay, you're you have the main company secured, but where they buy X, Y, and Z might not. Yeah, and that, and that X, Y, and Z may have access to their network. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Damn. So you could really go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I try not to. <laughs> right. Man, that's crazy. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or, you know, no, I, I, this was great. Right. Yeah. No, this is awesome. Um, I really appreciate you, uh, coming on and taking the time. I know it's, it's a short one, but I mean, I, those are really the main questions I wanted to cover. I wanted to make sure, sure China or Russia, you like, you know, you, you gave me your magic wand and it's regulation. So I agree with you. I think that would, that's probably the the best way to go. But as like you said, the United States is all about convenience. And if it's yep. not convenient, we're going to keep gonna work. No, we're going to keep doing TikTok videos <laughs> and face swap yep. apps. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for the time. Absolutely, man. Well, that's another episode for E4 Explicit Podcast. We'll see you next time.